don't think we believe in miracles, if I can just be honest with you. Do we believe in miracles? I don't think we do. Maybe we used to. For those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, you remember that God can do anything. But our faith has become dull along the way, and we find ourselves at a point of thinking, I don't think I believe in miracles anymore. Not in my life. It's not happening. I'm not experiencing it. Maybe the church has taught us God doesn't do miracles anymore. So if I can just be honest with you, I'm having a hard time believing in miracles today. Maybe you say, no, 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 I disagree with you. I I believe in miracles. Show me your prayer journal. I'd like to see some of those impossible prayer requests that God have answered in the last few weeks. What are some of those impossible prayer requests that cannot be explained naturally that God has answered? There's some of us in here that used to believe in miracles, but our faith has become dull. We've lost the wonder that amazement, that astonishment that our dad can do anything. Do you remember when you were a kid and you thought your dad could do anything? Maybe that discussion on the playground that, oh, my dad can beat your dad up. My girls are just starting to realize that that's not true. <laughs> we had this discussion a couple weeks ago and my daughter's like, there's a dad bigger than you in my class. Remember when you used to think that God could do anything at any time? For some of us in this room, he did a supernatural work in your life. Others of us, we've maybe never have believed that God can do miracles. Why do we believe that? Why are we at that place? Maybe it's because of a fear that you've asked for something supernaturally and God didn't come through for you. So maybe in your life you're feeling, no, I tried that once. I made myself vulnerable. I asked, and he didn't come through. And so you were looking for the Webster Dictionary's 2008 word of the year, a bailout. (laughs) Because the situation you were in, you needed help, and so you quick threw up a couple prayers to God, and he didn't bail you out. So maybe that's why we're struggling, believing in miracles today. We've lost the wonder in the church that our God can do anything. Maybe you're saying, it happened in here. Okay, I can believe that. And it's happening over there, maybe in another country, maybe to another person. But you're saying, it's not happening to me. Maybe that's where we're at as a church. It happened in here, it's happening over there, but it's not happening to me, and I don't think it ever will. We are on the last week of our Questioning Christianity series. It's 10 weeks, and every week we've been looking at a question that some of us have been wrestling with. And This week's question is, do I have to believe in miracles like the virgin birth, for, for example, this Christmas season? So do I have to? As If I'm going to f- choose to follow Jesus, do I have to believe in miracles? We're going to take a look at that today. And... As we get started, I want to pose a question to you, a question that was posed uh, to a man named Bartimaeus. And this passage 
takes place in Mark 10. You don't need to turn there. But I just want to explain what's happening as we get started this morning. Mark 10, Jesus has his disciples. His disciples were the 12 guys that he ran with that he was trying to teach how to live life. And they're walking into Jericho. And they're walking into the, the front gates of Jericho. And he's got a crowd now following him. People are hearing that Jesus is coming. There's a crowd there with him. And as he enters the gate, there's a man along the wall, seated, who understands that Jesus is coming. And so this man, whose his name is Bartimaeus, who's blind, he cries out. He cries out to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's some distance between he and Jesus, and his disciples were really quick to tell him to shut up. Would you be quiet? Jesus has places to go, more important people to see. He's not worried about you. Get out of the way and be quiet. And our Savior, our Lord, the person some of us have chosen to follow, this is awesome. He stops because he heard him. And he, he turns to him and he tells his disciples, tell him to come here. So his disciples who were just telling him to shut up are now saying, oh, cheer up. Get up on your feet. What are you doing sitting there? Get up. Jesus wants to see you. So they bring him up. And Jesus and Bartimaeus have a face-to-face encounter. And Jesus, oftentimes, when he healed people, he touched them. So we can imagine how, what happened there. Did Maybe Jesus put his hands on his shoulders and did a, one of these deals, eye-to-eye. And he asked him the question, what do you want me to do for you? Very direct question. Now, can I ask you that question from, from God's perspective? If he were to ask you today, church, what do you want me to do for you today? How would you answer that? Don't give it a lot of thought because what's coming to your mind right away? First thing that's coming to your mind. Bartimaeus doesn't hesitate in Mark 10, 51. He says, his greatest physical need, and that is, I want to see. He's blind. He wants to see. Now, Bartimaeus could have answered, I need a hot meal. He was sitting by the city gates there uh, begging. I need some money. I need, uh, I need a place to stay tonight. I need some new threads. Uh, my, my clothes are rags now. I need to wash up. He could have asked for any number of those things, but he chose to say, I want to see. I've got nothing to lose by asking you to heal me. Right? And Jesus heals him. Your faith is made you see. And he then becomes, Bartimaeus becomes a follower of Jesus, Mark 10 says. How would you answer that question? What do you want me to do for you? It's a very personal question. There's pencils in the chairs and you should probably have a bulletin, some scrap paper that feel free to just jot it down sometime during this message, during your time here. What do you want him to do for you? See, I think it's important how we answer that question reveals a couple things about us. It reveals what we think of ourselves, and it reveals our theology or what we think of God. Sometimes we ask God for way too little, and our view of God is wrong because we think God is limited. Our dad can't do that. I, I don't want to be disappointed. I'm going to ask for something small. And our prayers become, God, give us a good day. 
bless this food. That's the extent of some of our prayers. How do you answer that question? Are you asking, are you writing down something impossible, something supernatural? Because here's the deal. Our God flung the universe into existence with his mouth, with his words. He's created life. He has unlimited resources. We don't, but we know the God who does. And there is nothing impossible for him. So how would you answer the question? Was it something small or something big? The second thing that it reveals is about yourself. See, if we ask for something small, I think it says we have a high view of ourself, that we don't, we don't need anything. I'm good. I don't, I don't have need for anything, you know. So how do we answer that question? There's a, uh, do we have a regret over what we're writing down? Or first thing that came to our mind. In that same chapter of Mark 10, maybe later this week you can read it, James and John are having this conversation. Two of the guys who hung around Jesus and ran with Jesus. James and John. And so Jesus kind of hears them talking, and so he says, what do you want me to do for you? And James and John are real quick. First thing, showed their gut answer. Um, Jesus, would you mind making us a part of your cabinet in heaven? We'd like to sit on your right and left. You know, is that too much to ask? That was what they were interested in. And they got to heaven. That's where their heart was. As opposed to Bartimaeus, who said, I want to see the greatest physical need. It's, it's our faith grown dull. I, I think we really do want to believe but we've lost the wonder. We've lost the wonder, that excitement that our dad can do anything and any request that we give before him. He can answer it. He's capable of doing that. It's an important topic to discuss today, this whole idea of miracles. The two extremes, one is uh, freedom from religion, which happens to be based here in Madison. You've probably seen some news reports on it. Uh, they put a plaque up in the Capitol. I think they had a billboard didn't they, around the city. And this is the plaque. At the season of the winter solstice, may reason prevail. There are no gods, no devils, no angels, no heaven or hell. There's only our natural world. Religion is but myth and superstition that hardens hearts and enslaves minds. That's a prevalent view among maybe some of your coworkers or neighbors. Only the natural world. One of the, the, the uh, philosophers that kind of adopted this viewpoint is uh, David Hume in the Enlightenment period. And, uh, and more recently, uh, a guy who discussed this, debated this, was C.S. Lewis, who is, they're both pictured up there. And it's really interesting. They both came to the same conclusion of the definition for miracles. And that is the interference of the natural world by the supernatural. So even David Hume, an atheist, came up with a definition for miracles. I find that interesting. So that's our definition that we're going to use today. We're not talking about miracles as the flower budding, oh, that's, you know, where we're all miracles. I want, I'm, t- I'm going to raise it to the next level. Kind of supernatural, the impossible that we're talking about today. That's the definition. Maybe, maybe God supernaturally intervened, intervened in my life when I was six years of age. Uh, I, I was playing in the car. We had this grocery getter, we used to call them, station wagons. Maybe you grew up in one of these. 
It was parked at the top of our driveway. Our driveway was sloped, pretty steep. Cars parked up there. My sister and I, who was four at the time, I'm six, were playing in the car, and it's still up for debate over whose fault this was. We just were talking about this at Thanksgiving. Somebody hit the gear shift in the neutral back before they were locked, and the car starts to roll down the hill, slowly roll down, and we kind of look at each other, okay, this is a problem. She quick, she quick jumps to the back of the car, lays down. Now, this was the year Indiana Jones had just came out. And, uh, boy, remember some of those stunts he did under the car and stuff? I think, as a six-year-old, I'm going to jump out. So I get into the middle row there, and I open the left door, and I'm going to jump out. Well, I end up falling out, and the front left tire rolls right over my body, and the car continues on down the hill. And I'm laying there on the driveway crying. Everybody else is outside doing yard work and stuff. There's six, I have six siblings. Somebody's always crying. My parents said, oh, you know. But when they came around the house corner, they saw a car at the end of the driveway. Kyle's laying, this doesn't look good. And so about that time, I begin to realize that my dad is limited and he doesn't know everything. Because he brought me inside after I was run over by a car, and he gives me a bath in Epsom salt. Some of you can appreciate Epsom salt. It's a cure-all for everything. After I'm nice and clean, I've been soaked in some salt, he takes me to the ER. He takes me to the, the true story, takes me to the emergency room, and uh, they they do the x-rays and everything, and and I literally have tire marks on my stomach from from the tire. And... uh, the doctors say, this isn't natural. This shouldn't be. He should, his heart should be crushed, or his pelvis should be crushed. But the tire rolled right exactly where it needed to. Now, maybe, maybe you're here and you say, ah, you just laid down in the right angle, and uh, the weight of the car was shifted. Maybe. I'm going to say that was a supernatural intervention, that my life wasn't yet to be taken. Maybe you can say that as well. There's been times in your life where God has supernaturally intervened. I think it's happening all the time around us when we're not even aware. So if we can just look at a story in Scripture of a supernatural act of God by upon a young girl, uh, she would be in our middle school group in The Rock. We call that The Rock here. Her name was Mary. And this takes place in Luke chapter 1. And it's on page 723 if you want to use the Bibles. If not, it's up on the screen. The guy who's writing this, his name's Luke. He's a doctor. And he's very detailed. He's especially detailed when, when it comes to narratives of women. He includes a lot of the narratives that, that include the women And so that's important to know. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Now, just right before you start reading this, this young girl's name is Mary. And Mary is in our position somewhat because she believed that it happened in here in what she had. And she believed that it can happen over here to someone else. I wonder if she thought it could happen to her if it could happen to her supernatural work of God. So that's, that's where she's at. She was a girl of little means. She didn't have much from a small town. She's preparing for a wedding 
exciting time in a young girl's life. And then Gabriel shows up, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. This was not normal. We read this story. We're so familiar with it. We think, that's normal. It was not normal to Mary. This is what's happening here. It's mentioned that she's a virgin twice in this short couple verses here. She was sexually pure. She had not been with her fiancé or anyone else. That's important to note. She was pure. It also says in this passage that, that she was highly favored and that God was present with her. Does it mean to live a life where you're favored? Well, it doesn't mean perfection. Mary was not sinless. Mary was not perfect. But it means she was living a life that found favor with God. It's important for us. If we're going to ask for supernatural works of God, that, that we're in a right relationship with him. It doesn't mean we have everything figured out, we're perfect, but that, that we have found favor with God. Verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Okay, she's scared to death. Luke could have said she's troubled or she's afraid. Greatly troubled. A middle school girl, greatly troubled. She's scared. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid. That commandment is given more than any other commandments in Scripture. There's a lot of commandments given in the Bible. That is repeated more often all throughout the Bible. Actually, we sang it. We, we heard it this morning. Don't, do not be afraid of the shepherds. That's good to know because some of us right now, we're afraid we lost our job recently, or we may. We, we have a parent who's dying. We're waiting for a medical report. I mean, these are things happening in our church this week, and we're afraid. God says, don't be afraid. I'm your dad. I take care of you. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, he says again. And then 31, he gets to the heart of this message. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Now Luke's a doctor, and medicine has come a long way in 2,000 years. But they knew virgins didn't have babies back then. That's why she asked the question. That wasn't a mystery to them. They knew that. So she's saying, wait a minute. How, how is this going to happen? We see that God chooses to come to someone like Mary who didn't have much, who, who didn't have everything figured out, who was poor. She ends up living some of her life as a refugee and may I just propose to you that much of Scripture is bent toward the oppressed. Let's not miss that. Who does God choose to come to at this most amazing announcement? It's a young girl who's preparing for a wedding. She's like, wait a minute, how, how, what's going to happen here? What's going on? And 
maybe point out that sometimes we have this warped view in the church that God will bless me for me. We hear televangelists sometimes say that, that you will get a miracle because God wants you to be blessed. And if you just pray a little harder and give a little bit more money, then God will give you a miracle. That's a manipulation of the gospel. I don't see that in Scripture. But here we see that Mary is blessed, not so that she can live a good life, but that the whole world would be blessed through this miracle. The supernatural intervention in Mary's life is to affect others. It affects us today. It didn't make Mary's life easier. You haven't seen that. It made her life very difficult. In fact, there was a lot of gossip that centered around this. A pregnant girl who's not married, there was, it was scandalous. It, Joseph, her fiancé, wants to put her away. This did not make her life easier. There's a cross here behind the manger, I just realized this morning. And 30 years on down the road, Mary has to endure watching her son suffer. And if it, this wasn't true, she could have said, Stop! He's not the Son of God. I was lying. It, this isn't true. Stop. I don't want to see him. This didn't make her life easier. This supernatural work. In verse 35, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she was said to be barren in her sixth month. Gabriel says, for nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? Really? For nothing is impossible with God. Mary, maybe she's beginning to realize, we can only suspect here, that she believed it happened in here, and she believed that it's happening over here to her cousin Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant. Maybe it can happen to me. She's beginning to realize that, that this can happen to me as well. God creates life several different ways in Scripture. He created Adam out of dust. He created Mary, uh, I'm sorry, he created Eve out of Adam. Remember, this, there was a supernatural work that he did with two really old people, Abraham and Sarah. It was a supernatural miracle. He gave Sarah the ability to be pregnant late, very late in life. God can create life any way he wants. And of the billions of lives that have been created on this earth, only one was created this way. Supernatural virgin birth. And it's important. There are several reasons why that's important. Verse 38 here. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. She's a servant. And she says, may it be to me as you've said. As we lay those things that we've written down before God this morning, as we think about what it is we want God to do for us, may we have the ability then to say, may it be as you've said. I believe you, can, you are capable. I'm going to trust you. May it be as you said. And the angel left her. Why is the virgin birth so significant? 
it highlights the supernatural. C.S. Lewis calls this miracle one of the grand miracles in all of Christianity. For it's posted on the door of the mystery of Christmas. You, you have to enter through it if you're going to investigate who Jesus is. It's one that cannot be rejected when you understand it fully and completely. It, book, it begins the bookend of the life of Jesus in terms of supernatural works. For at the beginning is the virgin birth and at the end is the resurrection where he defeats death and comes, walks out of the tomb. It highlights the supernatural. It shows us that humanity needs redeeming. It says that we, as people, can't save ourselves. We needed a supernatural intervention by God. It also shows that God's initiative is on display. Notice, God did not ask Mary, is it okay if I come on you? And he didn't ask. But he gently, but yet decisively, acts on our behalf. He knew it needed to be done. And so he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. And he comes to Mary. And finally, it displays the fully human and fully divine nature of Christ. Mary and Joseph were in the line of David. And it was important that Jesus not be born like we were born. For then he would have been a sinner like you and I are sinners. And he would not have been able to die and forgive sin. But this authenticates the fact that he is fully divine. 100% of God and 100% of man. It's important. It's an important doctrine for us to believe at Christmas. Do you have to believe in miracles? May I say, many want to. I think most of us here, we really want to believe in the supernatural, the impossible. Why aren't we? Some of our churches, some there's some churches that have online prayer requests and you can submit a prayer request or maybe a phone tree or an email prayer chain. And those are, a lot of those prayer requests that go out are really important and we need to be praying for those. Sometimes they become owie-less and they become requests that we're praying for our head colds and, and not our heartaches and not dreaming big. We're not praying for the supernatural, impossible that can happen. They become owie-less. That a doctor would look at as a naturalist maybe and say, I can, I can take care of that. I can take care of that. Uh, yeah, we've got some medicine for that. We need to be praying for those who are sick in the church. That should not be the extent of our prayers, church. Where are the impossible prayers? Where are the dream big, take a risk Think big and ask your dad for it because he's the God of unlimited resources. There's a story I like to share with my three daughters who I took to Water Tower Mall on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. If you've ever been there, it's this beautiful mall, glass windows, first couple floors. We walk in, my family, we have three daughters at the time. One was a baby. We're walking up the escalator. The escalator goes up, most escalators go up. We get to the top, we turn to the left, and right at the left is this amazing candy store. 
that had candy that you've never seen before. M&M colors that you didn't even know existed. FAO Sweets is the name of the candy store. It's a, it's a branch off FAO Schwartz, the big toy store. They're no longer there. They went out of business a couple years ago. But I, we walked into the store, and I told my older two who could comprehend, I said, Daddy wants to give you anything in this store. Your choice. One thing, your choice. Now, they, they had apples dripping with stuff, caramel and peanut butter, and they had everything malted. They had lollipops that were too heavy for them to carry. One thing. And one of my daughters knew exactly what she wanted. She went and grabbed it, and she was ready to go. She met me up at the cash register. The other one, it was fun to watch. She walked back and forth. She got nervous. She was anxious. She couldn't decide. I said, we've got to go. Ten minutes, all right, it's time to go. Grab something. She came up to the cash register. At the cash register, it was a container of dum-dums. And she's, she, at this point, is just a little overwhelmed. And she says, I'll take this. And she put it on the counter. A dum-dum. Of all that she could have chosen, this is what she picked. Which was cheap. I was okay with that. <laughs> we walk out. Later on, we're walking down the escalator. She looks up at me. And she says, Dad, I don't want this. And there was regret over what she chose. She saw other kids experiencing it. She saw her sister experiencing it. It was happening to them. And she missed it. Unlimited resources in there. And she settled. Our prayers sometimes are settling. We're asking God for way too little when he is the God of unlimited resources. God, the supernatural God. Remember, we used to believe that our God could do anything, that our dad could do anything. I don't know if you know this, but after each service, over here there's a prayer team, and you can bring your head colds, and they'll pray for you. But in seven to ten days, you'll be feeling okay. Or you can bring your heartache and you can bring your requests that no one else is daring or willing to ask. Requests that people will stare at you a little funny when you, when you pray. Every week they meet over there. If, if you would like prayer for a supernatural healing in your life, the pastors here, the staff, the stewardship board will meet with you. We did this last night after the service. We prayed over for a supernatural healing. We, can, we will do that with you. We've lost the wonder. One of the things that I found interesting as, we, uh, as I kind of walked through the Gospels and looked at a number of different miracles is the fact that Jesus did miracles not at us, not to us, but with us. His 12 guys he hung with were, did not have it all figured out. They were not the best of the best, and yet he chose to do miracles. Let me give you two examples. There was a guy who had been dead for three days, and Jesus spoke and said, come forth. But he allowed the disciples to move the stone away and unwrap Lazarus' rags that he was in. 
he allowed the disciples to do the miracle with him. There was another one, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus fed 5,000 people, but he did it through all 12 of the disciples who were holding the baskets and handing the food out. God would much rather do the supernatural, the impossible, not at us, not to us, but with us. So feel free to pray. Pray big. What do you write down? May it be the impossible. He, he's waiting for you to ask. He wants to do it with you. You may today be feeling like, it happened here, I can believe that. It's happening to someone else. It's not going to happen to me because uh, I'm not a good person. I've messed up too much. I'm not smart enough. You're not everything that society tells you that you should be thin enough. You're not young enough. You're not old enough. You don't have a good job. You're feeling like God can't do that work in my life. Hold on. You are the most likely candidate for God to choose. May you hear that today? God wants to do something supernatural in your life. Maybe it happened in here. Well, it did happen in here. Maybe it's happening to others. May I propose to you? It can happen to you. It can happen to you. Let's pray. Let's pray as a church for God to do a supernatural work. As a church, but in your life, among in your coworkers, health issues, yes. But more than that, too. People that you think would never come to faith. If you're here today and you think, I, I don't believe in miracles, never have. In fact, I don't even believe in this God of yours. I think you want to. I think you want to. None of us believed without God working in us supernaturally. So maybe you just write down, what do you want him to do for you today? Faith to believe. I want faith to believe because you're struggling. Ask him for faith to believe today. He wants to answer that. It can happen in here. It can happen in here. Our dad can do anything this morning. Would you pray with me? As I pray, what, what are you thinking about? What would you write down? What's on your mind? Pray for it. Not the impossible. Pray for, not the possible. Not the natural, the physical world. The supernatural this morning. God, I have to confess to you publicly that my prayers have been too small. That I've lost the wonder of who you are. You can do anything. And as a church, we pray for the supernatural to occur in hearts today, in Madison. We pray for those who founded Freedom From Religion that they would come to a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. We know it's possible. We pray for those who are sitting here today who have parents who are struggling with health issues. We know that you can heal them. You are the God who can do anything at any time. We know that. Forgive us for losing the wonder and the excitement that our dad can do anything. We ask these things in your name. 
Amen.